time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. I'm very excited today because this is Mystery Month at the Vintage Truth Podcast, and we've only got a couple more episodes left in this particular series on the mysteries of the Bible, the mysteries of our faith and that type of thing. And today we've got an incredible mystery to tackle. In fact, one that's going to really mess with your mind. That's right. It's, it's a mystery. It's a true mystery. Now, I want to begin by telling you a little bit of a story here. Uh, I've been to England about, I don't know, 15 times. I've been to the British Museum uh, many times in my trips over there. And you know, seen mummies and ancient relics from extinct civilizations and coins and medals and drawings and, you know, city gates from Assyria and famous sculptures and from Rome and Greece. They're all there, all these great things. You can spend days. In fact, I've spent days accumulatively in that museum looking at thousands of historical artifacts from all over the world and all throughout history. But one time I was there browsing the museum's exhibits, I came to face to face with one of the most amazing archaeological discoveries of all time. This particular exhibit is one that draws a consistently larger crowd than all the other exhibits. It's a three foot, nine inch by two foot four piece of granite. It's 11 inches thick, weighs about three quarters of a ton. And it's been on exhibit at the museum since about 1802. So what's the big deal with this big slab of rock? Well, it was discovered in 1799 by soldiers in Napoleon's army. This rock is called the Rosetta Stone, in case you hadn't figured it out. And it's so named because of where it was found. But it contains an Egyptian hieroglyphic text that up until that time was completely undecipherable to mankind. Fortunately, the stone's hieroglyphics are also accompanied by a Greek translation, which meant that for the first time in modern history, hieroglyphics could now be decoded, opening a huge window of unparalleled insight and understanding into ancient Egypt. It's one of the greatest discoveries of human history, right up there with the Dead Sea Scrolls and King Tut's tomb, the Rosetta Stone. Now, what we're going to talk about today is sort of a Rosetta Stone of Christianity, of really of the whole Bible. I'm talking about the mystery of predestination. Because once you look at this mystery, so many other things begin to open up in the Bible, open up about God, open up about yourself, about faith, about salvation, about eternity. And so we want to tackle this thing head on. Now, I hope that word predestination got your attention. Because for many people, it's a very controversial word, and some people think it has no place at all in the Christian faith. Well, what does the Bible say? See, I don't care what people think. I want to know what the Bible says. So let's begin by looking at what Scripture says, okay? And we'll tackle this, and we'll talk about some of the problems with this belief. First of all, when we look at the Bible, we discover that God is a choosing God. God is a choosing God, but of course we would expect this because he contains mind, motion, and will. Anyone with a will can choose, right? You can choose. You and I can choose, so why can't God choose? In fact, the Bible claims that God chose individuals for salvation and that his choice of them was totally unrelated to their behavior. God chose Israel 
We saw last week in the mystery of Israel in Deuteronomy 7, God said, I didn't choose you because you were special. I chose you because I'm special, basically, is what he said. But look what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says. It says, from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. God chose you to be saved. Now, if that statement doesn't initially and in some way deeply disturb you, then you don't understand it. Because God is claiming that he chose you. So you go, how does that work? Well, you keep reading in your Bible, you'll find out there's other statements too. The Bible also says that you also choose God. In Joshua 24, 15, it says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers or whether the Lord. In Proverbs 129, it says, they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Acts 16, 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's a command to believe, something that you do, you believe, you put faith in God. So we get to choose too. Confused yet? Well, let's just pose some obvious questions that arise from this conundrum that we're in. First of all, how is it possible for God to genuinely choose individuals before time and those same individuals choose him in time? I mean, Ephesians 1.4, we're going to see that in just a minute, talks about that. How can both choices be genuine authentic and free. How can God's choice be genuine, authentic and free? How can our choice be genuine, authentic and free? And if he chooses this for us, what else has he already planned for us? Are there other things that he has pre-planned? Predestination to most people sounds very unfair, doesn't it? Hey, wait a minute. You mean I don't get a choice in the matter? We just said you get a choice in the matter. But how does that work? How do you account for all the people who've never heard about Jesus? Don't they all get a chance? God's supposed to be fair, right? He has to give everybody a chance. He's a just and good God. How can he still be God and do this stuff about choosing people? I mean, predestination makes God sound like he doesn't love everybody. But the Bible says he loves the whole world and that Jesus died for everyone. John 3, 16, 1 John 2, 2. Isn't that what that means? Part of what complicates this mystery is the word predestination. <laughs> I mean, here's the deal. The word predestination is actually in the Bible. You can see it in Romans 8, 29 through 30, Ephesians 1, 5 and 11. Any way you slice it from the original Greek word to the context of the verses where it's found, the word predestined or proorizo in the Greek always means to, quote, predetermine, or decide beforehand, end quote. Always. It always means that. Considering all the times the Bible says God chooses, whether the choice is a nation or an individual, that choice is never based on who the person is or what he or she has done. In other words, God's choice of them is never earned or caused by the good deeds of the one chosen. Now, you could just say, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that God chooses. Well, you've, you've got a problem. <laughs> you got a problem with the Bible. you got a problem with the character of God. 
And you got a problem with, with specific verses in the Bible, like Romans 8, 29 says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Now you could say, well, well, that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean what it says. Well, if it doesn't mean what it says, you're in trouble with a whole lot of the Bible because the Bible does mean what it says. Just one chapter over. Oh, by the way, the very next verse says, And whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. That's Romans 8.30. The very next chapter talks about God's choice of Jacob and Esau. It says, Though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to his choice, might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The word hated, by the way, means rejected, doesn't mean emotional hate. What shall we say then? There is no injustice in God, is there? May it never be. Meganoito, God forbid. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. Grace and mercy, God says, begins and ends with me. So it doesn't depend, verse 16, 9, 16 of Romans, on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up so that I could demonstrate my power in you that my name may be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. And then Paul knows where we're going next. He says, you'll say to me then, well, how can God still find fault for who can resist his will? And his answer is, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for common use? It's just speaking about the fact that you think you're special because you get to choose don't you think God gets to choose stuff too? Now, we talked about this whole idea of, of fairness. What does that mean? Well, if, if you're a mystery lover, you got to dig deeper in this truth. Let's just break it down like this, okay? Assuming God really did choose somebody like you for salvation, what was his motivation? I mean, what was he thinking, okay? What, what, what possible reasons could he have done that? Here, here's some possible reasons. Number one, God randomly chose you. Hey, you just got lucky. He spun the wheel and you won the lottery. And you just happened to be one of the fortunate ones. And he did it this way because he's God. And he could do whatever he wants. Case closed. Move on. Enjoy your winnings. You know, it was just a lottery thing for you. Secondly, you could say, well, God has favorites. God fast forwarded time, press play. When he got to you, he saw something he liked. Maybe he liked your hair. Maybe like the fact that you give money to Christian organizations. Maybe you like the fact that you're a good person or that you stop and let people cross the road in front of you. I don't know. Maybe you saw that. Maybe you helped a stranded motorist one time. Bottom line, you did something right. You got yourself chosen. Simple as that. That's second possibility. Third, God made salvation available through Jesus and then sat back with his hands clasped going, I hope they choose me. I really hope I'm just, I'm counting on you guys. Please choose me. I need you guys, right? And so God just put salvation on the buffet line of life. And he just said, can I help you? And offered you 
the greens. You know, he offered you the good stuff and you, you chose it. God's just a celestial salesman hoping that you'll choose his product. Fourth, God's only way to save you was to choose you because he had no other options available to himself. In other words, because of what Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good. There is none who seeks for God. That we are born dead in sin, as Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 tells us, that we are by nature children of wrath, that we have no innate ability to better ourselves salvifically or from a righteous standpoint. God had to do that. God had to take the first step towards us if we were to be saved. He predestined you for salvation. So he's the initiator in the relationship. And then the fifth possible reason is God just wanted to do it. He had the option to let you go your way and pass into eternity and judgment, but he chose you even though he didn't have to. Think about that. If that's true, God chose you even if he didn't have to, even though he didn't have to. If that's true, Talk about Rosetta Stone. That's a mind-blowing truth. There's no law or force in the universe that obligated the Creator to select you for salvation. No one twisted his arm till he cried, Uncle. He simply did it because he wanted to. He did it because he loved you. Because it pleased him to redeem and cleanse a corrupt heart like yours. Because in the grand scheme of things, it's not even about your salvation. It's about his glory. And he knew that in choosing you, you would bring him praise both now and in eternity. So out of love and a compulsion to honor his own gracious character, he simply did it. I remember back in college, I was my freshman year of college, I was eating lunch one day and I, I forgot what it was. It was like, I think every day they had different themes, you know, for, for lunch. I think this one was called a taco surprise or something like that. Although the surprise really came about an hour later. You probably know what I'm talking about. So a couple of us students were kind of, hol- you know, uh, hovered around a table and, and up walks this professor. He was actually professor of Western Civ, but he was known as a theologian on campus. So he, he walked up, we start, you know, chewing the fat with him, that kind of thing. And somehow this topic of predestination came up And I immediately objected and said, hey, God can't do that. It wouldn't be fair. And he said, Jeff, what's fair? If if I give you a dollar, fair, it means you give me back four quarters. So fair is just simply an exchange of what is just, of what you deserve. Jeff, would you like God to give you what you deserve? Would you like him to be fair to you, to be just to you? See, my ideas of fairness came from the from kickball on the playground. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, you get three outs, we get three outs. You know, it's only fair that, you know, everybody gets a turn, that kind of thing. It's not about choice. See, God is a law unto himself. Whatever he does is good and just. And so he challenged me. He said, Jeff, I challenge you to go back to your dorm room, open up Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, and just read it. So I said, all right, I'll do that. I was confident. Went back to my dorm, got my little bitty New Testament, laid back on my bunk bed, opened it up, and these are the words that I read. It says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure 
to the praise of, of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. Wow. Now, to be honest, my first response when I read those verses was a huge, uneasy feeling that came over me. It wasn't the taco surprise kicking in either. I reread those verses over and over. And you know what? They read the same way every time. Every time I read those verses, it said God chose me. It said he predestined me before the foundation of the world. And let me tell you something. In one simple reading, my heartbeat, my whole view of God completely changed. I couldn't understand how it could be true. How could God choose me? How would God choose me? Why? And for the first time in my whole life, I understood what amazing grace really meant. I ask myself, if the only way I can be saved is for God to first choose me, then what does it say about me? Could I be worse off than I'd originally thought? More ruined, more broken, more sinful? Was I really dead in sin, unable to choose God on my own? But it also confounded me because I remember the night that I chose God and asked Him to save me. I mean, I didn't understand it all. How can God require all people to repent when He apparently hasn't chosen everyone for salvation? Guess what? I don't know. How can he be a just God and yet not give every person a genuine chance to hear the gospel? I don't know. How can he choose some but not all? I don't know. I suspect the answer lies somewhere on the map between the village of my limited understanding and the world of God's sovereignty. In which case, I am the village idiot. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God, how high are the heavens above the earth? 100 miles, 100 million miles, 100 billion light years of miles? No. We're in an ocean right now that is way too big for us to swallow it. It's a mystery so deep. The waves are too big. The undertow is way too strong. No, I don't want God to be fair. I want God to be gracious. I don't want God to sit around and wait for me to choose him because I would never choose God on my own. But here's what we know. God does choose. He chooses in eternity past and in time in a way that we won't understand until heaven. We also choose him. You know, that's the Rosetta Stone of Christianity is coming to grips with this fact that You didn't deserve this stuff. And that had you not, had God not initiated this relationship, you would still be in your sin today. It makes us understand more what Psalm 68, 1 says. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Wow. Hey, our God is a God of mysteries. And we've got one more to tackle on the Vintage Truth Podcast. And we'll do that for you on Monday. Woo. I hope your head's spinning. I hope you get into the scripture and do your own study on this thing. It'll rock your world. Have a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday.